But I'm going to jump right in, and, and with that, I want to start with this idea that, that our planet has been invaded by superheroes. I, I don't know if you knew that or not, but, but it has. Now, not in the way like you're going to see on the screen with the Avengers, this group of, of individuals from different worlds that have come together to fight good versus evil in that way. Not in a, a physical way have they come to this world, but, but rather in a sense that our culture is obsessed with superheroes. Don't believe me? Well, that movie itself, it's the third installment, I believe, of the Avengers. I'm, I'm not actually much of a Marvel comic nerd, as some of you might be, but I've tried to learn along the way and see some of the movies, and I enjoy them. But this installment of Avengers has already made almost $1.5 million, or around that, estimated to make almost two, I'm sorry, billion, estimated to make almost $2 billion by the end of its run worldwide. That comes on the heels of Black Panther that just came out a few months ago that has also made quite a bit of money in the billions range. And the guess is that those two movies together will make about $4 billion. Now that right there is a lot of hero worship amongst two movies. That's just Marvel Comics and that's just two of their 15 or 20 movies that have come out so far that have made $13, $14, $15 billion. That's just on the movies, Right. That's not the t-shirts and the figurines and the Happy Meals and all the stuff that they market and brand to us as well. We are obsessed with them. And, and I get that to a certain level. I, I enjoy them. I'm drawn in to a hero figure. Uh, we want to believe that there's some power out there that's protecting us and fighting evil. I was reminded of it even as I heard the news of another tragic school shooting, right, this past week where more kids were dead, senseless violence. It makes sense that some of us would like to escape to a, to a world where good does conquer evil in the way that we think. I get why the world longs for and desires heroes. It makes sense. I bet, and, and, and that's really just talking about Marvel, right? There's Justice League, Superman, Batman, there's X-Men, there's Incredibles, there's all kinds of stuff out there, right? We long for heroes, I'd love to take the time to be able to just interact with you a little bit today and find out who your favorite heroes are and why. And it'd be, it'd be a lot of fun to do that um, and, and to find what answers you have today. Uh, there would only be one right answer, of course, of who the greatest super... Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I've got, I've got one fan. If you were here earlier, my family was here and there were four or five of them wearing Batman shirts as well. Now, don't come talk to me afterwards about why you're, you're superheroes, but I really don't care and don't know. Uh, I just happen to like Batman and enjoy uh, the symbol as much as anything. But, and, and I'll say this too, I, some of you are going to have a hard time finishing the rest of the sermon because you're a Spider-Man or X-Man or, you know, this is going to really bother you. Or it's because how in the world can you hear from the Holy Spirit if John's up there in a Batman t-shirt? And I apologize for that, kind of. But when else could I wear a Batman shirt and preach and it actually kind of worked today? So you'll have to, you'll have to humor me uh, the rest of this morning. But what makes a superhero a superhero? Like if we were to talk about that a little bit and get some of those responses, I think what we find is that these are individuals often that have flaws, right? They're not perfect. They're complex people. They're not perfect. Many of them are dealing with things from their past. They're trying to overcome obstacles, uh, think the fears, fear of spiders, fear of bats, whatever it may be. Uh, relational issues they've had. They're trying to compensate for something or they're trying to find some level of redemption for themselves or for someone else and they have their faith in a higher power. Make sense? Well, we're kicking off a series today called Heroes and what we're going to do is to look at some heroes of a different kind, heroes 
of the faith. We're going to dive into Hebrews chapter 11, what's often called the Hall of Faith, over the next few months, and we're going to look at some of these characters, these men and these women that are referred to as being heroes of the faith. What I find interesting, though, as we look at that and we try to understand why their faith qualified them to be on that list or what was it about the faith that they possessed that caused the author of Hebrews to elevate them in a sense or or use them as an example, what's interesting to me is that many of those heroes of the faith, we could describe using the same words that I just did about the heroes, the superheroes. They were flawed. They weren't perfect. They were a bit complex. Maybe they were overcoming something from their past that was difficult. Uh, They were in search of redemption or certainly in search of trying to, to follow God in the midst of some hard circumstances. And ultimately, they had faith in something that was some so much bigger than themselves. And yet, in key moments, even though they were flawed, and they were flawed, You'll, you'll hear in the next week, we had adulterers, prostitutes, drunkards, murderers. These were some big-time sinners. These were, these were men and women that indulged in inappropriate and dysfunctional relationships. They sinned, they messed up. And yet, in some key moments, they displayed and they evidenced and expressed some incredible faith in God, and they had a belief that God would fulfill and keep his promises. So there's something there that we need to grab. There's something there that we need to be able to understand. But I find that this whole issue of faith can be kind of hard if you're like me to put your arms around. Like, what is faith? What does it it look like? What are the characteristics of it? What does it mean? We talk about faith all the time. Not just in our Christian circles. Faith is discussed all over the place. Well, I have faith that this is going to happen. I believe that this is going to happen. Whether or not it is tied to God or not, there's a real sense of, of, of faith aspect to our culture and our world. Even superheroes, if we go back to that idea, there are some of us that have more faith in a superhero than we do in God. Or more faith in ourselves or and others. So what is faith and what does authentic faith look like? As I was thinking about this, I came across a story actually as I was prepping for this that kind of illustrated this for me in a way that at least made sense to me. And I need to use an umbrella and just to show you that I'm, you know, equal opportunity with umbrellas. This happened to be a Spider-Man umbrella that was one of my children's and I had to actually go find it outside. It spent all winter outside, so it was a little rough shape. But it was a story about two siblings, One was a brother, one was a sister. The older brother was trying to convince his sister that if she just believed enough, that the umbrella would lift her. She could take an umbrella and it would lift her into the air. Now, I don't know if they had just watched Mary Poppins, which, in my opinion, Mary Poppins is definitely a superhero based on the fact that she can fly and work with children. So that's, no doubt, that's a superhero. But maybe they just watched that. So he's telling her, if you just believe enough, sis, then, that's a true story, then it will lift you. Well, she wanted to have faith, wanted to believe, and so uh, hoped that she had enough faith. And with faith, she went to the top of the roof barn and she jumped. And what happened? I'd love to say she floated, but she didn't. She fell, right? She fell. She knocked herself out and she had a minor concussion. So what happened? Did that little girl not have enough faith? Did she not believe enough that that umbrella could lift her? If she had just tried harder and had more faith, would it have accomplished her purposes? No, right? Because the object of her faith couldn't do what she desired. 
And I'm going to come back to that illustration at different times as we work through our points today, because to me, it helps to sum up oftentimes how we approach faith. If I just tried harder, if I just did more good than bad, if I just believed more, then God would prosper me. And however you believe the word prosper matters to your life, financially, relationally, in my marriage, my children, my kids would be successful, I'd get the house I always wanted, maybe I'd get the promotion at work, if I just believed and had faith that God wants me to be happy, safe, comfortable. And in many ways, God does desire those things for us in in some ways, but he ultimately desires our hearts and our trust and our faith in him. So I want to unpack that a little bit today, and we're going to use Hebrews chapter uh, 11, verses 1 through 3 is kind of the text today. I'm going to draw on a few other places. If you want to go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 3, I want to give you a little, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. I want to give you a little bit of background because my goal this morning is to set the stage for the rest of this series by looking at these first three verses of chapter 11 to discover what the author of Hebrews has to say about faith so we can ultimately answer the question as we walk out here today or at least begin to have a discussion maybe in your family of God faith And what does authentic faith look like? How is it displayed? What are characteristics that I would be able to know this is faith? Because again, it can be hard to kind of get our arms around it or to grab it or to feel or sense what it is. But let me give you a little context before we read these verses about the book of Hebrews. Uh, The letter to Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians in Palestine. The term Hebrews was used to describe only the people of Israel who actually lived in Palestine. Everywhere else, Jewish Christians were referred to as Jews, but in Palestine they were referred to as the Hebrews. It reflects then the situation, this letter reflects the situation by, that were faced by the Jewish Christians in Palestine in the 10-year period before the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in, in AD 70. So these are the years leading up to before the destruction of Jerusalem. Now we don't know who wrote Uh, definitively who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's no name ascribed to, no authorship in that way. And I'm not sure why that is. For most of church history, it was believed that the Apostle Paul wrote it because much of the the wording and language and certain timing and allusions that are referred to uh, are similar to some of Paul's writings. But but we don't know, and we don't want to be presumptuous on that. Could have been something he shared at one point that Luke translated. Could have been something from Barnabas or Apollos. We, we, We just aren't for sure. But we know it was the Holy Spirit was ultimately the author. And so we can trust it, we can believe it, and we can take God at his word, even if we don't know the specific name of the person who wrote it. The purpose of writing Hebrews was to encourage Jewish Christians who were being persecuted. Because of this, they were tempted to return to the Jewish religion. And so the writer of Hebrews shows them that the old Jewish faith has been fulfilled fully in Jesus Christ. He does this by showing that the religion of Christ is far superior and far better than anything they had or could have gotten from their Jewish religion. And so he encourages them to put their faith and trust in Jesus alone because Jesus is superior. Jesus is better. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. What the law was incapable of accomplishing fully, Jesus steps in and takes care of and becomes a better mediator of a better covenant once And for all. And that's the context that we come to in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Join with me as I read. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
Father, I pray as we just look briefly this morning at these verses and try to understand what faith is, that you would help us to increase in our faith, that you would open our eyes, that we would see things this morning that we haven't seen before. And then we would be doers of the word, not just hearers, that we would put it into practice and that we would understand the role that you play in our faith journey, that it's not just, boy, if I just believe more only, but rather it's a work that you do in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I want to take just a few moments. I'm not going to go super deep on any of these today because my goal is to set this up to kind of create a foundation for the rest of the series. We're going to spend several months in this series looking at different characters that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. But I want to give us a framework to look at some characteristics about faith, both so we can evaluate how faith is displayed in the heroes that we'll see, but most importantly for today, for you to evaluate where's my faith. Do I have faith? Got faith? Is it authentic faith? Or do I need some adjustments or or maybe some radical overhaul in my faith journey as well? Now, this is kind of personal to me as well. This is a journey, faith journey that God has had me on the last few years through some struggles physically and and relationally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, just some... Uh, some steps God has called us to take in faith. And so I'm I'm living in this with you right now. This is not, I've come, I've got it, great. Let me just tell you how it works. I'm with the Jagers, right? In some ways, as I was hearing that, they became now all of my illustrations today, all right? You're going to see their story kind of fleshed out here as well. And thank you for that just openness and transparency of, of being able to say, this is hard and yet I trust God. But if you hear nothing else today, that's what I want. It is hard. It can be hard, but I trust God. But we're going to try to flesh that a little bit in my life and yours because I know there's several people, kinds of people here today. There are those of you whose, strength, whose faith is strong. You're coming in here today, and not that you don't have your issues and haven't been through some difficult days, but right now, at least today, you're kind of encouraged and you have this enduring faith and you're trusting God. And I say, wonderful, that I pray you're encouraged to go even deeper and farther in your faith journey as we move forward. For others, your faith is a bit shaky right now. You're coming in, it's been a hard week, a hard year, a hard life. And you're just struggling. You profess maybe to believe in God, but you're having a hard time living that out. You're dealing with some testing and some struggles, and you're maybe even questioning what role God plays in your life. And I believe God's word has something for you today. I think there, though there is a third category, potentially, of people here today as well who have no faith at all. Certainly not in God. If anything, it's in themselves or it's in somebody else or in something else. And you need to hear from God's heart today what he wants to communicate to you. And he's calling you and he's saying, I want to be your Messiah. I want to save you. I want to rescue you from yourself. I want to gift you faith today if you'll only receive it. So I don't know where you are today, but whatever framework you're coming in, I pray that God will speak to your heart because this is kind of, a, it's kind of an inspirational thing that, that the author of Hebrews is doing in chapter 11. He's saying, this is faith, and then let me point to some examples. Let me cite some examples of those who have gone before you. They would have been familiar with those individuals, they would have recognized those names in those situations. And he's saying, hey, look to those. When you're fearing, feeling weary and worn down and struggling and you want to give up and you want to go back to something, remember those who have gone before you, the shoulders of the heroes that we stand on. And it's with that foundation that I want to jump in. Five points. I'm going to work through them quickly. Each of these points could easily be a sermon in themselves. So I'm, going to, I'm just going to hit the high points, move on, and some of these pieces are definitely going to come up in future sermons in the next couple of months. First, I want us to see that the substance of our faith is a gift of God. 
Now, this isn't explicit from these verses right here, but we can't go any farther unless we recognize and understand that faith is a gift from God. This is not something you have and possess in and of yourself or because of something you have done. It's not an umbrella that I hold up and I go, if I just try harder, I'll lift. Now, this is a reminder from Hebrews chapter 12, which we'll get to at the end of the series, that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He designed it. He gives it. He perfects it. He gifts it to us. Faith is from him and him alone. There is no faith outside of Jesus. Paul reminds us this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Right? It's not of ourselves, right? It's not from you. It's not by works. So no one can boast. Faith is a gift. And we need to start there. That's the most foundational place I can start is that your faith is not of anything you do or don't do. Your faith fundamentally comes from God. And I think we have a tendency to do one of two things. We either have a tendency to believe if I only worked harder, believed more, had more faith, then God would be happy. I think many of us struggle in that, fall on that side. But I think there can be another side too at times that says, you know what, God kind of owes me faith. Like, yeah, everybody's got faith, right? God wants everybody to, to have faith and be happy and go to heaven. And I think he longs for everyone to have that and desires for all to be saved. But it is something that must be received as a gift from him, an acknowledgement that's from his hand, not something that is just there, you know, whether I, you know, want it or not, it's, it's, it's available in that way. Now, it, 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 takes, it takes a response. Secondly, so we understand that it's a gift, we also realize that the test of, of faith is suffering. Now, I'll be real honest, I'd love to just skip over this point today. I'd love to pretend that this isn't in the Bible, and yet I, I can't skip over it. We heard it even in testimonies today, that God gives us tests often through suffering. It's not the only way he tests us, but it's a primary way he does. That he puts things in our lives that are difficult, hard, uh, painful, to allow us to test our faith, really to see, is our faith valid? Will it hold up the test of suffering? This is a hard, this is a hard thing to manage. We, we heard a story about it this morning. I've had it in my own life where there have been things, cancer, I had cancer a few years ago. I've had relational struggles. I've, I've twice quit my job not knowing what I was going to do for different reasons. There's all kinds of testing that can come. Some of you have dealt with persecution in your life for your faith. Others of you have felt with family dynamics that have been very trying, financial issues. I don't know what yours looks like. Could be a child. Could be the loss of a loved one. There is suffering around us. But I want you to hear that nothing that comes into your life in the form of, of, of suffering is outside the control of the loving hand of our Savior and, and God. Nothing. None of it is meaningless. None of it is wasted. None of it is, is an accident or, oops, I didn't see that coming. I didn't mean for it to go on that person or for them to be tested in that way. It is 100% from the hand of God. 100% is it worthwhile, meaningful, and used to be able to embolden and bolster our faith. And in those moments, we have two responses. We can either move towards God and depend on him and lean on him, or we can pull away from him. I've done both. And yet I know that only when I run to Jesus in the midst of my suffering will I find what I'm looking for and will find the endurance to be able to persevere through the suffering that he has put for my good. It's why in James, James can write, the testing of your faith produces perseverance or steadfastness. 
But it doesn't end there. That perseverance and steadfastness then produces maturity. Now, I'm not jumping for joy. Yay, I got to suffer today, right? That's not what we're talking about. That's ridiculous, all right? It's hurts, it's painful. Let's be real and honest about that. I found out I had cancer for the first time. I didn't, I didn't celebrate that initially. But as through the process... I began to see God's hand because he wanted to use that not just in a physical way, but he wanted to draw things out of me. He wanted to transform my character. He saw areas and blind spots that needed attention in my life, my marriage, my parenting, my walk with Jesus. And I can now say, God, use that. And I'm thankful for it. But not always in the moment, right? And some of you are in the midst of a suffering right now. And it's different. You just lost a loved one. You're dealing with a child with, with surgeries. You've lost a child or you're experiencing some difficult hardship and our God wants you to hear from him. I'm totally in control of that. I will give you the faith through that. Trust me. Totally sovereign, totally faithful, completely, completely trustworthy. We see this even in our passage today. If you go uh, a few verses up in chapter 10, verses 32, let me read what the author of Hebrews states right before he shares those first three verses in Hebrews chapter 11. He writes, But recall the former days when you were enlightened. After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, and the, I'm sorry, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve The soul, you see, the author does not want us to have a temporary flimsy faith that shrinks back to destruction. He wants us to have a faith that endures trials to the preserving of the soul. Such faith takes the future promises of God and makes them real in the present. You catch that? Takes the promises of God for the future and makes them real now, not just to come. It's not just the hope of heaven. It's the opportunity to know that God will walk with me through my trials today. He's with me now. Oh, I've experienced that in so many ways as I've felt his loving hand in the midst of not necessarily taking me out of the suffering, but walking with me in the suffering because he understands what suffering is. He's experienced it. One of the stories that we'll come across that's alluded to not by name but by story in chapter 11 is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think it illustrates beautifully this idea. I appreciate that. Somebody, somebody knows what I'm talking about there. Recognize that story. If you don't know the story, three guys, they're told to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's big idol that he, that he puts up, and they say, you know what, we're not going to do it. Okay, well, whoever does it's going to get thrown into a fiery furnace. And I love their response. I'm very much truncating the story here. But they say, they say, okay, you know what, we're not going to bow down because we believe our God will save us. So even if you throw us in that furnace, we think our God can save us in the midst of that furnace. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down to your God, to your idol. You know, that fire was so hot that even the people that got close to us were burned alive and killed immediately. It was that intense. So by them saying that, that wasn't some flimsy kind of, boy, I hope it works out for us. And God did save them in that particular instance. 
But their faith was so firm that even if God had not, they knew they had a better resurrection coming. Even if they suffered the loss of their life for doing what God had called them to, they had a better resurrection coming. They would be united with Jesus for eternity. That's incredible, incredibly inspiring to me. Because as I look at Hebrews chapter 11, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they ultimately did die. They didn't die then, but they did die. They did suffer death. And all but one of the characters that we will come across in Hebrews chapter 11, the exception of Enoch, who was taken up to heaven, and we'll hit him off in a couple weeks, all of them died. And many of them suffered horrific ends to their, to their, to their lives. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They were, they were burned at the stake. They were eaten alive by lions. I mean, there is just some massive, massive horrendous suffering that took place. Not to mention some of the other, other folks that had just difficult, painful experiences and suffering in life. And yet they believed, like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, that our present sufferings are nothing compared to the eternal glory that will re- be revealed in us. They had hope in a better resurrection. And that's true for us today. And I, if nothing else, I pray you are, you are bolstered in your faith that no matter what you're going through and you're suffering, that there's a God that wants to walk that through you. And he has given that, allowed that testing and that suffering because he wants you to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not to punish you, but to equip you, to grow you, for, to produce perseverance in your life. Third, The only way that we can endure the testing of our faith through suffering is if the object of our faith is Jesus. I'll tell you right now, if you want to go through suffering and the object of your faith is not God, is not in the the promise of Jesus Christ, you don't have a chance. And some of you right now are trying to endure suffering without Jesus as the object of your faith. And I'll tell you, I'll save you a lot of time, that won't work. It will never work. You need your faith to be in Jesus. It's like this, right? only as strong as the object of my face. Everybody stand up for just a minute, please. Just real quick. Stand up. Real, real quick. Stand, stand, stand. Okay, sit back down. Sit back down. All right. Those of you who stood up, how many of you thought, boy, I hope the pew will catch me when I sit down? Anybody? There might have been some. Anybody? I had somebody in the first service a little shaky, but anybody? No, not one of you, if you made it up, sat down and thought, boy, yes, it worked, right? Now, if I brought a stool up here that had one leg falling off, was cracked and kind of tilting and said, hey, come on up. No, don't look. Just sit down. It'll be okay. Not one of you would sit down, right? Because the difference is the object of our faith. The object of that and a rickety stool is totally different. The object of me putting my faith in umbrella or in the living God is totally different. And we see that, but I think in practice we miss that and we still are trying to put our faith in stuff like that. Myself, other people, some other God that I, of money, of comfort, of my job and career, we're putting our faith in our children even, my marriage, and all of those will fail us because the object of our faith must be Jesus. Two ways that I see this played out as Jesus is our ultimate hero, superhero if you want to say, the only one who is trustworthy and faithful and sovereign. Two ways that, that these pa- this passage helps us to see that is one is Jesus is creator. I have to recognize and understand this comes in verse chapter 3 of Hebrews 11. The author writes, By faith we understand that the, that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God spoke the world into existence. Just let that sink in for a minute. Have you thought about that? 
the world, the planet, the universe, he spoke into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't take a bunch of energy and matter that was already there and just kind of put it together and say, okay, boom, let it go, stand back as kind of a watchmaker and go, hey, boy, I hope that works out. I hope they don't screw it up. I hope they actually get created in my image. No, he created the world by his word. I mean, the power of that alone would make him the object of our faith if we really understood that. It's become popular in some theological circles to be able to kind of discount God as a creator, Jesus as creator. Think that he's, you know, yeah, he had some influence in it, but there were some other factors at play. And I'll tell you right now, that's a lie. That is wrong. Scripture tells us it is by Jesus, by God, the world was created alone. He took what was invisible and he made it visible. And I believe it is foundational to our faith to be able to understand and put our faith and trust in Jesus as creator. Secondly, though, we have to understand that Jesus is our savior. He is our Messiah as well. We need to be saved from ourselves. We need to have faith in something that is so much better and so superior to what we know and understand in and of ourselves. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to do to these early Palestinian Hebrew Christians. He's saying, no, 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 don't be tempted to go back, kind of like the Israelites. If we just could go back to Egypt, you know, they had food, they had water and vegetables. It'd be so much better than God delivering us from that and our suffering now. We tend to be very similar in that. Oh, if I could just get out of there, I'd just go back. If I could just go back to my whatever background, it would get better. No, we need to be saved from ourselves and we need to understand that Jesus offers us a far better covenant. He's the far better mediator of that covenant. Again, where the law came up short or showed us our need, Jesus is able to fulfill And he came to earth as a man and he sacrificed himself on a cross so that we no longer needed a system of sacrifices. He became, once and for all, the ultimate perfect lamb that gave us the opportunity to have our sins cleansed and taken away. And if you've not made that decision, oh, I pray that God would grab hold your heart and say, I need to put my faith in Jesus alone. And our world's hungry for a savior. Derek mentioned in his prayer that today's International Day of the Unreached. There are 7 billion people right now in the world. 2 billion of them have never heard of Jesus. 70,000 people die every day not knowing Jesus, not having faith in Jesus. I mean, that is a somber, sobering reminder. And yet it's not just the people that are outside of our world and the far reaches. It's the people we sit with. It's the people in our neighborhoods. I was flying back from somewhere this week and I'm like, oh, I need to share. Oh, I should start a conversation. Oh, but they just put their earbuds in and I'm on the fly. Right? And I chickened out. Many more times than I want to. I get timid even though I have the life-saving news of Jesus Christ. And this isn't in any way to shame us. It's just just remind us that our world longs for a Savior. And as he impacts our hearts, it's the overflow of that that our faith then impacts other people. John Piper has a great quotation. He's a theologian and pastor, and he says it this way. He said, faith is kind of a spiritual tasting of what God has promised so that we feel a deep, substantial assurance of things hoped for. And faith is a kind of spiritual seeing of the invisible fingerprints of God and the things he has made. And here's the line I love. By the one we know God's power and wisdom to make us, and by the other we know his goodness and grace to save us. For the object of our faith to be Jesus and to have a firm foundation, we need to understand that he both made us in his infinite wisdom and he's the only one that can save us by his grace and his goodness. 
when we begin to understand the weight of that, the gravity of that, the blessing of that, then we begin to display our faith. My fourth point is the evidence of our faith is confident hope in God's promises. Now, this isn't the kind of hope that we often refer to as, boy, I hope I I get something today. I I hope you have a good day. I hope John's almost done with his sermon. It's not that kind of a hope, okay? This is a deep, confident, assured hope that's based on the truth of God's word and his promises. Now, for Mother's Day, one of our kids gave their mom a little plaque that said, hope changes everything. That's been true in my life. There have been moments that I've felt hopeless, and that's a dark place to be, And other times where I've experienced great hope based on God's word and his promises, and that changes everything. That's the hope we're talking about. The hope of these early Jewish Christians and believers, the hope of their ancestors in Hebrews chapter 11, they believed, they had deep hope, not just maybe it'll work out. You don't go to your death based on on a whim, on wishful thinking. Go to your death believing that God's word is true. We need to have that kind of faith. What God has promised, he will do. But we need to make sure that we are standing on God's actual word when we claim a promise. For only then do we have assurance that God will do or give what he's promised. Faith has no power in and of itself. Hear that. Faith has no power in and of itself. It only counts when it's based on a clear, unambiguous promise from God. Anything else is just wishful thinking. But friends, our God keeps his promises. He does not break them. And he doesn't make promises he can't keep. But we better make sure we're standing on his promises, not cherry-picking verses from the Bible or saying things that he's not saying or putting our faith and hope in what he hasn't promised. God has promised us everything we need and eternal life and hope for today and the future. We need to stand on his word and we need to know what his word says. And that's what the heroes, as as we'll discover, they stood on that, on the the concrete promises of God. Finally then, as we stand on those promises, as we put our full hope in him, and and let me say this, that's, that's hard. It's not a perfect journey. Maybe you're different than me. Like, my Christian life isn't like this. Like, I started here, I got, and I just slowly, incrementally look more and more like Jesus. Now, this is what mine looks like. Right? I'm moving towards Jesus, but I have, I have days where my faith is strong. I have days when it is weak. I have days that I almost feel like, oh man, how can I feel this way? And yet I run back to the cross because his grace is sufficient for me in that moment. It's not a perfect journey, friends. But it's a matter of recognizing that our confidence, our endurance, our perseverance is in God and God alone. And he's the one that gifts it to us. He's the one that sustains it in us. He's the one that allows us to display it. He's the one that provides hope, hope for our souls. And in that, when we experience the display of that faith and we evidence that the last point is that our faith, the reward of our faith is God's approval. The longing of my heart is for God's approval. It is. Not in a way of like some domineering dad that's just trying to beat his kid into submission because the kid now feels guilty over everything that he's just trying, oh, if daddy will just be happy with me. Because I know some of us have experienced that from our earthly parents. God's approval is so different. His pleasure comes in knowing that he's given us the faith. He's helping us endure the suffering and trials. And we're saying, God, I trust you. Give me more. Give me more of yourself. I love you. I trust you. You're sovereign. I'm with you. And he increases our faith. And we receive his approval. Because as we'll see in a couple weeks, that, that our faith, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible. 
You can't please him. You cannot receive his approval without faith. And we need to hear that. And we need to understand that here today. And it's not just the, the hope of heaven and the approval of that, the, the reward of that. It's the rewards here today of taking his promises, knowing he gives us joy, peace, patience, kindness, love, strength, endurance in this world as well. Now, I want to close with just a short story. I know we're right at the time here. I want to close with a short story referring back to this, this umbrella, okay? You know, I started with a story about a little girl in an umbrella. I want to tell you another little story about another little girl who happens to be the one who owns this umbrella. That's great. Where'd you get that t-shirt at? She's got a t-shirt that Jesus is my hero. That's awesome. I'll wear that next time. So my daughter Scarlett, this is her umbrella. And I said I'd dig it up. She really cares about it a lot. But I dig it up in the garden yesterday, try to find it. But let me tell you a little bit about her because I think this kind of fleshes out and sums up what I've just talked about in these characteristics better than I could do. Because we're going to look at a lot of illustrations. We heard about one from the Jager State. There's all kinds of these. This is just one that's personal to me. And I'll finish with this. Scarlett came to know Jesus a couple months ago. Now, she's grown up in a Christian home, so she's heard about Jesus. But she came to us a couple months ago, her mom and I, and she said, I, I want to I solidify it, essentially. I'm paraphrasing it, but I want to put my faith in Jesus. We prayed with her, and there was no doubt in my mind that she received Jesus in that moment. Like, she, she accepted him as Lord and Savior. I, I think she had had a, a level of faith leading up to that. But she had lost a great-grandmother recently that was unexpected, and uh, a couple other experiences in, in her life had happened, and... But as a parent, while we're thrilled about that, you're wondering, how is that faith going to be displayed, right? What's it going to look like? Is it going to be genuine or not? A couple weeks ago, we dropped our kids off at my parents. We were traveling, and uh, Sarah and I had to be somewhere else, and they stayed a few days with them. They went to church with my parents. The sermon that morning was on Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. It was, when you go to pray to your father, go into a closet and do it on your own. Like, don't do it for show. Now, it doesn't mean exactly that every time we pray, you have to go into a closet. But Scarlett heard that, and she thought, I should do that. Kind of a novel idea. She heard from the word of God. And she thought, I should do that. Put it into practice. So she went home that day and she told my mom before, before lunch, she said, I want to go somewhere and just kind of pray to God. Okay, well, they, why don't you go in the guest room? My dad came home later and went in and talked with her and said, well, what are you praying about? What are you doing? Well, I'm just, I just need to talk to God. And I heard today and I should talk to God. Well, what did you talk to him about? She said, well, I had some questions for him. I want to know why my grandma died. I want to know why mommy miscarried a little, you know, a little while ago last year and that was really hard. I want to know this... He said, well, wow, those are really good. Do you think God heard you? He said, oh, absolutely he did. Well, did he answer you? No, but he will. Well, what's your, you know, essentially, and I talked with her about this, you know, after, where's your hope? She goes, oh, I, I completely trust Jesus, and I'm going to be with him forever, and I know I'm going to be with that baby, and I'm going to be with my grandma forever. And it just struck me. It impacted me so deeply, and I wish I could share more of that story. It so moved me because I realized that's exactly what God desires for us. God gave Scarlett the gift of faith. She didn't have that in and of herself. He gave it to her. But she trusted him, and she believed him, and she's walking with him in some ways more than I am. And she ministered to my heart. And she's a little hero of the faith. And so we're going to explore some heroes over time, but that one, that just kind of brings it together for us today. That's what God wants. He wants us to trust him, to put our faith in him, not in some umbrella faith in ourselves. He wants us to believe that he alone is sufficient for our faith, to trust him completely.